0: This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Aubition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas, and experience, and just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast season two. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Dylan Jones, who is the founder of MyDataBrand.com. So Dylan, thank you very much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us, Kyle. uh, Pleasure is all ours. I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's a a topic that's very close to my heart and I guess the, the journey that I've been on from a business perspective as well. So looking forward to kind of delving into it. So I guess before we, we jump into it, Dylan, can you give us a, a brief introduction to, I guess, your background and journey to date and I guess how you ended up um, where you are? Sure.
1: Okay. Uh, so by trade, I'm a data consultant. Uh, originally, I uh, started out in, God, around about 94, something like that, 93, 94. So I've been around a while. Um, basically, works through the ranks as a, a data professional, if you like, started out in the kind of junior kind of data ranks, work my way up to... Uh, Becoming a principal data consultancy uh, lead for various firms, eventually running my own firm, and then I guess around about two thousand and six, two thousand and seven, I just hit this kind of brick wall in terms of finding leads. I, I, I'd moved from London, where there's lots of work, up to um, Sunny, sunny Stratford upon Avon, and we, yeah, we just found there just wasn't enough business up here to kind of uh, sustain my consultancy. So. Around about that time, I got involved with blogging. I didn't really know what blogging was at the time, just found a book on it, started blogging. And and I, I found that instead of me having to go hunting every single day, you know, cold calling and cold pitching and kind of going to events and everything, um, I was just building an audience. Uh, so effectively, personal brand development, as we as we now call it. But back then, it didn't really have a name. It was just blogging and writing and sharing content. So, yeah, I just figured out the hard way how to pull an audience into my ideas my content uh, with a view to converting a small percentage of them into ongoing clients and you know keeping the the family fed and closed Um, and and basically what happened was I, I just kept getting companies approaching me saying you know we're doing webinars we're not getting anyone on our webinars no one's visiting our blog what are we doing wrong so I ended up advising lots of firms Uh, and creating content for them, content strategies, lead generation strategies uh, over the years. Started out just doing it for friends and then uh, just got bigger and bigger. Uh, So eventually pivoted from running a full-blown data consultancy to teaching data consultancies and data software providers how to uh, systematically Build a pipeline of leads primarily through brand building, content marketing, social selling—all those kind of buzzwords we have now. But back then, you know, not a lot of people knew what they were. So, yeah, built systems to do those things, uh, and that now makes up the bulk of my time
0: over at my data brand. Nice, nice, such a, a fascinating journey there, and I guess so, so many similarities to to myself. Now, I think you know about eighty percent of the work that we did last year comes inbound, and a lot of that is driven by the content that that we that we do, right? Um so kind of real fascinating stuff. So I'm excited to, to kind of dig into this in terms of how, you know, your advice on how to help the data community, not just from an organizational perspective, but also an individual level as well. Sure. Because I know that's something that you and I both kind of talk about in in kind of slightly different ways. So before we before we do that, tell us a little bit more about my data brand, you know, what do you do, who you're doing it for with you know type yeah. of typical customer engagement type of stuff yeah sure so I guess a typical customer that I
1: attract will be'll they'll, they'll read my content and they, they nearly always come to me with a question that starts with so I listen to your webinar or I listen to your you know I read your article or I listen to your podcast or whatever it is um, and they'll come to me and basically say I, I see myself in that content I see myself in that problem <clears throat> and So they'll say things like, you know, um, our positioning is off. I I feel like we're not competitive. We're not, we're not differentiating ourselves or uh, we can't communicate our value or we just can't create content or we struggle with selling. So it's typically some, some kind of challenge around, they're generally not getting enough clients that, that is the end result um, that they want to solve, but they, 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 they've, they've, I'd say they're fairly in tune with where some of the problems are. And that's typically um, the, the products aren't packaged and positioned correctly. They're not creating enough uh, high value content or they're really struggling to convert their, that content into sales.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Is, is there, a, a, I guess, a trend, if you want to call it that, in terms of what, what you kind of see and the advice that you give it? Is it mainly around the, the products and solutions that they offer? You know, is it too... Broad is it too niche, or is it more a case of these people just want to know what types of content that they should be speaking about, and kind of how to identify an audience? Yeah, I mean the bulk of my
1: my target audience is data consultancy founders, and the the big problem I see there is that generally there's far too broad in their in their portfolio. So I was speaking to a firm the other day, uh, three founders, and they had fifteen propositions and and that's the problem i see all the time because you know if you've been around you know for more than like 10 years then yeah you do build up this huge arsenal of of skills and capabilities and the problem is uh People really struggle to kind of whittle those down into into a really tight proposition, but that the, we have the data now. Having done this for so many years, you know, the, the tighter and tighter you get your positioning and your packaging, the far you know far more attractive you become online. Because online, you you've seen it yourself. You have like nanoseconds. You know, you, you're scrolling mm-hmm. through your LinkedIn feed, and something has to grab you. Uh, to grab your attention, there's so much competition, so much noise now online uh, for people's attention you have to grab people quickly. And you can't grab people's attention by saying we do data warehousing and BI and and you know and, and EAI and we do MDM, we do data quality, we do ETL, we do all these different things. It's like people are gone; they just don't have the attention span for that. So um, and you probably see this yourself in your in your own you know, in your you know your talent business. It's like if you try to be everything to everyone, you Basically, you attract no one, and, and mm-hmm. I think people can get away with that in the old world of uh, word of mouth and referral marketing, and yeah, repeat order, repeat orders from clients. You can kind of get away from get away with it in that market because people know who you are but online they don't know who you are you know and you literally have a few seconds to grab them with your content um and i think also people want a consistent experience you know if they were tuning into your podcast one week and then the next week you were talking about baking recipes and then the next week you're giving (laughs) them fitness advice and then you were giving them holiday advice like you know where to go in the mediterranean it's like you completely confuse them but that's essentially what so many consultancies are doing and software vendors are doing they're hopping from topic to topic and as a result they can't build a sustained um, momentum with their
0: audience, yeah, you know, and people just don't know what they do. Mm, yeah, I mean, as you rightly pointed out, I think that's, I mean, I think that's the same across most industries, right? If you think about it, especially any industry that is thinking about identifying who that audience is and trying to position content that that kind of resonates with that audience, um, that's certainly the 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 case for the recruitment sector for sure. You know, and I, I speak about this a lot. You know, the recruitment sector as a whole is far too generalist, you know, everyone tries to be too many things to too many people and ultimately just kind of, you know, peeves everyone off along the way. You know, you can see it all the time. We're a technology recruitment business. And I kind of think, well, what does that mean? How yeah. <laughs> how many different technologies are there out there? You know, it doesn't make sense. And that's why we're kind of super niche, super focused just on data analytics. And that's, uh, that's all we do. Um, so the the whole piece around, Building a brand, as I've mentioned, is something that I speak about a lot. And I guess, you know, I've had a lot of data leaders come to me when I've made content around this to kind of say, you know, would you be open to give me advice? And that's something that, you know, I kind of give away just for free as part of what we do, really, because I'm not an expert in that space like, uh, like you are. You know, this has more been for me, a self-learned journey of trial and, and error, really. Um, but, you know, I speak to them about the importance of it the benefits of it where they should focus and all of that type of stuff so I guess although you typically do that at an organizational level this naturally translates right to data leadership figures at an individual level um how 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 does that translate what's the you know what what's the what's the key thing yeah it's funny you should say that because I
1: actually the approach I've taken is that yeah although I'm working with consultancies so yeah mostly most of the time it's like a data consultancy founder comes to us and says my business isn't generating leads what can you know what can I do for my business to and, and, and you know we have one man bands all the way up to hundred fifty person consultancies um, but the, the 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 kind of process I take is I still build the the, the brand around an individual as much as I can because, you know, I mean, I, I talk to CDOs and, uh, you know, chief information officers and heads of data all the time. Many of them are really good friends of mine. And I can say without doubt, none of them get excited when they see a company profile update. They don't go, oh, wow, you know, so that SAS or IBM or Microsoft have, have shared another post today. They don't get excited about that. They get, they get excited about insights, things that they haven't learned before, things they don't know, patterns that they're missing, uh, uh, you know, Valuable nuggets of wisdom that they've overlooked. You know, things that can help them look like a rock star. That that's uh, fundamentally branding is basically how can you make other people look like a rock star. Um, so your idea of I, I give it all away, and that's essentially what I teach my clients to do. is like, okay, give it all away. Give away your insights. Give give away the farm. You know, just just give it all away. Um, and I prefer to do that through the kind of uh, the voice of some clearly defined people within the organization. I and mean, sometimes it's like one or two founders or, you know, a couple of founders and a principal or something like that. But I prefer to do it through people anyway. So for me, there's no real distinction between the the business and the people because fundamentally um, marketing, you know, even though we're selling from from business to business, B2B, it's still P2P, it's still person to person. You know, if you're selling to an enterprise, somebody in that enterprise has to make a decision. You know, there's there's always a champion of the deal who needs to be convinced. Um, and we've seen this, you know, it, it always comes down to a person-to-person communication. The, the business could have all the all the branding, all the glossy brochures, but if they don't trust that principal consultant will deliver and their team will come behind them and, and do a great job, they're not going to, all, all the branding in the world isn't going to help. So it's still a person-to-person. I build all my process, all my engines, all my kind of methodologies or everything. Um, it's, it's really connected to the people and I make the people the face of that brand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Makes sense. Cause as you say, right. You know, it's still a, it's a, it's a human connection, right? People buy from people. Um, and let's be honest, it's quite difficult. I mean, I've tried, <laughs> I'll be honest, I've tried it here at Orbition. You know, I think the, the challenge from a branding perspective that I've had is how do I take my personal brand and try to make that more holistic across the brand of Orbition, so that it kind of encompasses The team, and that's really difficult to do because people don't engage with organisations as much as they do with other people, right? So that that makes um, perfect sense. So I think if if we think about the people that you mentioned there, you know, if you've got heads of data, CDOs working in organisations, whether that's consultancy, whether that's end user organisation, what are some of the typical problems and challenges that you see these people encounter where building a brand may be able to help them?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you look at, if you look at the, let's take a, you know, a chief data analytics officer or a chief data officer, you know, the the challenges they're going to face will be the typical kind of thing, you know, so blockading, you know, people, resistance, politics. Um, so I think, you know, it's funny, I was having a conversation not, not so long ago with uh, they were head of data quality and they you know one of my other businesses is, is dataqualitypro.com and, and they basically rang up and say, hey, look, our whole team has been let go. Um, can can you help? Can you help them? yeah, uh, you know, they were trying to find positions for their for their team who've basically been sacked effectively. So we, we got talking, I said, well how how has this happened? And he goes, well, you know, change of management. Change of management has come in and they've basically seen us as a, as, as a cost center. And they were, they were very you know anti-management how can they do this to us it's just so short-sighted and i thought well fundamentally and i didn't i wasn't strong enough to say this on the call i said fundamentally that's a marketing problem it's like this this person has not marketed the effectiveness of what they were doing uh, across the organization because if they had they would not be perceived as a cost center and I think in many organizations, you know, in mature organizations, data is seen as an asset. You know, we're, we're in a data driven economy now, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, we, a lot of organizations get that. But in a lot of firms, we're not there yet. You know, so particularly if you're in this um, data leadership role that I think many of those data leadership roles, they have a high churn rate. You know, they, they, people stay in those roles for two to three years and then they move on, they're either pushed or they leap. Um, so I think it's not the most um, you know, secure of positions. So, yeah, the, the way I would look at it would be you have to market your value every single day. Yeah, so it's ironic we've we've had a few uh, cdos come onto our program because they're launching their own firm but we've also had some cdos launch their own firm and then been headhunted and gone back into you know permanent employment if you like and they've used the exact same skills they've learned here which are you know timeless skills around um, you know understanding the problem the organization has communicating the solution communicating the outcome communicating the difference between what the world is now compared to what the world is before taking that show on the road you know gathering anecdotal evidence gathering data you know i was doing a presentation uh, for a data quality vendor recently and i was showing them some of the the, the data leadership uh, presentations that we've had over the years at data quality pro and there's some fantastic ones there where some of the guys have gone in and they've they've understood the economic model of the organization and they've, they've overlaid the data quality work that they've done. And they've been able to take that show on the road and explain to the senior management, look, this is the economic model of our organization. This is how I've basically impacted this organization through data quality improvement. And this is the net benefit of using my approach. So any new senior management figure coming in, it's gonna have a hard time saying, well, let's just get rid of all that then because that's just a cost center. It's not a cost center. They've demonstrated the value. They've taken a the show on the road. But more importantly, you know, I think when you start to unpack what branding is, it's really about a demonstration of capability and credibility. So, and if you're enforcing that capability and credibility consistently, then you're gonna attract new talent. People are gonna to wanna to come and work with you people um, you know sponsors and other stakeholders in the the business they're going to want to get on side with you because they can see that you're driving value through better analytics better data quality better data governance MDM whatever it is but I think so many times I've spoken to data leaders who've been you know passed over for promotion or have been sacked or whatever and I, I see this this vein running through is that they're just not promoting themselves strongly enough internally to secure the future of their team and demonstrate their net worth so i think if you do all those things you'll definitely maintain a much longer and more kind of prosperous uh existence in these organizations but yeah i mean even i was talking to someone the other day and they said uh, they were a consultancy founder but they said by blogging and creating content webinars they've solved you know, part of the resourcing challenge is you know people want to come and work with them now, and and I think in, you know internally in organisations that's a big challenge. Obviously, you you, know, you solve that uh, with, with your firm, but that's because that problem is pervasive. Organisations can't find good data talent, so I think when you build these internal brands, you create this magnetic effect that people want to work with you because you're doing great things.
0: Yeah, yeah, honestly, couldn't agree more, Dylan. My mind's racing now. Honestly, I'm all over the place and getting a little bit kind of excited here, because I think there's a few things that I definitely want to um, kind of come back to on that. I think, first of all, if you think about most of the reasons why, or mainly the most exclusive reason as to why most data and analytics projects are perceived to fail, it comes down to that whole cultural piece, right, around change and why change has not happened. And this is my constant message to data leadership figures around why building that brand is so important because no one's ever said to me you know what that project failed because we did a poor job building that model or that dashboard or that framework that's the stuff that we're all really good at and you know let's be honest bordering I'm not obsessed with talking about the bit that we struggle with in general is trying to get buy-in from stakeholders executives you know the influencing piece, the kind of relating it back to what does this mean for the business on a commercial level to kind of really drive that, that buy-in and kind of stakeholder engagement and so on and so forth. And all of that piece really, for me, comes down to to branding. I mean, I put a post up the other day saying, you know, data and analytics needs to learn to market itself better. And I got a varied reaction as you'd expect. And I think, you know, some people very rightly were saying, well, so is there not an argument to say that data analytics has oversold its capability? And I kind of said, mm, well, from a vendor perspective, possibly, right? Because a lot of vendors have been out there and, and promised the earth. But I think the it, from an internal perspective, um, data leaders don't do this. I don't know whether they don't see it as part of their job. They're not quite sure what the benefits are, whether they're just not thinking about this in, in general. But I find it fascinating that you know my end point was that if you're seen as a thought leader, in any walk of life in any discipline people want to work from you people are more likely to buy into what you're trying to achieve people are more likely to get on board um etc etc talk talk us through how you see that unfolding in reality when people do this inside an organization
1: sure i mean i just want to pick up on that point about change because that 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 was a massive realization to me years ago and i think i, I think it was cotter i stumbled on that, that change management framework and because i had the same thing when i was trying to sell data quality you know i was trying to sell data this you're trying to sell data quality today is a lot easier than it was like back in the 2000s you know in the early noughties it was impossible you know people <laughs> people just saw data as the exhaust that came out of systems like they just didn't see it has as an asset at all um so you know, the the model I learned back then was the Kotter change model. So this whole idea of you know creating a sense of urgency, creating this guiding coalition, developing a vision, communicating the change vision, removing barriers to action—it's all these. You know, definitely, I think people should look at that that Kotter model. because that that to me typifies why we should build a brand internally. You know, if you're a, if you're an internal data leader, data analytics leader, whatever, that brand building exercise is part of that whole. Um, cultural transformation, that cultural change, because it, it creates a sense of urgency. People can see, okay, this is why we need to do it. Because the biggest challenge you have is basically unsettling the status quo, because nobody wants to change. No, everyone is terrified of change. They're worried about how it's going to impact them. I think people are, are deep down, deeply selfish. You know, I think at the, at the end of the day, most leaders will say the same thing. It's like they're out for themselves first and for the organization secondly you know uh, yeah they want to do a great job but they they want to secure their position their position of leadership so i think you definitely need to create a sense of urgency create this guiding coalition attract people to you attract people to your vision and and communicate that and then start to remove these barriers to action and then institute the change right but if we look at actually how you do that the pros you know the, the brand building process so the way I' the way I kind of take my clients through that is I start with positioning and packaging. Okay, so I look at okay, what, how are we going to position this thing in light of everything else that's going on, right? Because we we have to, so if taking this from an internal data leadership point of view, you have to position it in a way that aligns with what's happening and doesn't kind of you know just hit, hit everything head on. It has to be moving swimming in the same direction. So, what are the strategic initiatives that are happening? What you know, where is the organization headed? You know, what direction is that? So your positioning has to be in alignment with that. Your packaging or you know, if you're a, a data analytics officer, you're in many ways, you're packaging up your service in the same way that SaaS, IBM, Microsoft, you know, any, any of these other kind of analytics vendors are, are, are pitching their product as well, or, or, or consultancies are pitching, it's exactly the same thing. You have to have your your packaged offerings. You know, um, I was talking to consultancy the other day who just onboarded and they they've spun out of a data leadership role and now they've launched their own uh, analytics company and it was the first time going through our process that they've actually thought about what the steps were that they actually go through and they've been doing this for like 10 years Uh, but by getting them to outline each step and why each step made sense uh, and why it had to be executed in that way and what the outcomes were of each step and what the benefits were it's just completely transformed the way they communicate their offering so positioning and packaging we start with that then we have this kind of big publishing um kind of step which is really i think it's the publishing is i get clients to really focus on story as much as possible so we have a 6p uh, storytelling framework it's 10p now but the, this the core six p's are talk about the people that you've impacted uh, talk about the problem like the fundamental problem that they had. Talk about the pains that are associated with that problem. Uh, Talk about why you were pulled in. Why was your team pulled in to support, kind of blow your trumpet a little bit with that kind of pull stage. Outline the process you went through and then talk about the payoff in terms of the company, but end on, on the personal payoff. Yeah. So, you know, you could talk a short case study would be, you know, Bob. Bob was the uh, CFO. and the, the big problem Bob had was he had no insight on his general ledger. You know, it was, his, his general ledger visibility was always three months out of date, which meant they were kind of looking in a rearview mirror. And as a result, they couldn't make um, accurate forecasting and analytics around finance Uh, but this created lots of other pains as well and you list all those other pains you know my team were pulled in because we you know we have the capability to give Bob that insight he needs we went through a three-step process and now the company has general ledger visibility within 24 hours they've saved quarter million pound in the first quarter but the cool news is Bob is now you know he understands exactly where his exposure is the risk is and he can walk into uh, that stakeholder a committee meeting or the exco absolutely confident that whatever ever question is thrown at him he can answer it so we start with bob's pain and we end in bob's payoff so that's that's a really good place to start with the publishing. It's just to have a really compelling case story. yeah. And, and then you build up these case stories and then you teach your team how to share those stories internally in those little water cooler moments. Um, and I really, when I was doing data quality years ago, I used to struggle and people used to say, what, what's the benefit of data quality? I would go, uh, well, it's kind of, you know, we're going to improve and it's going to cleanse and we're going to fix. And I was just all over the place. But when I learned this like little 6P formula, I could say, well, you guys, you know, I could be say talking to Vodafone. I go, you guys, you're probably very similar to BT, and I don't know if you know Vicky over at BT. She's head of operations there, but I've just helped beat you know. And I would just go through this short story, and they go, yeah, we want some of that. That's exactly what we want. That's the exact problem we've got. Yeah, we're doing a 21st century network transformation. That's yeah. So they could see themselves in that story from the previous client. So when you teach your team how to say these things, they become this publishing engine for you. And all you do, you just, you just recycle those stories you know and, and that's your publishing strategy because people want to see success um, next is promoting so promoting is basically recycling that content turning it into webinars roadshows some of the companies i've worked with they create like little table mats and they, they hand those out in the canteen of all like the success stories they've had and all the processes that they follow and how to how to work with them how to engage with them then you have this kind of prospecting phase. Uh, now I guess we're kind of drifting into consultancy a little bit, but prospecting. Yeah, you know, most data leaders will tell you they spend they should spend most of their time sitting having coffee trying to prospect for new opportunities within the organization new ways to find new recruits new new staff new new sponsors new champions to kind of work with Um, then we have this kind of pull selling stage that I take people through which is like a gated selling system really which isn't really selling because all you're really doing is listening to your client your internal client and just getting them to sit on the therapy couch for like an hour and say tell me your problems and when you come at it from that perspective instead of um i was working with a consultancy recently and they'd always done a a kind of push selling approach so uh, they get a sales meeting and they just present they just kind of talk about their entire service offering for like an hour and they go, and we can do this, and we can do this, and we can do this. And, and the clients are just, it's almost like they're walking through um, like, like a catalog of different offerings. you know. And here's home and leisure, and here's sports. And here, like, they're just going through every single offering, trying to wear the client down. And I just got them to switch from, instead of talking, just listen and they have their like first big sale for like last, last few quarters as a result of doing that. And that that's what we do, which is pull selling, pulling people into, into your office and just say, okay, tell me your problems and then pull them into your solution. So analytics, it could be, Tell me what you got going on. Oh, we you know we can't get general can't, we can't get our uh, billing and operations systems aligned. We don't yeah you know, we just we just feel like we're flying blind. Oh, tell me more. How long has that been a problem? You know, who else is affected by that? You know, financially, what's the impact? What's the impact to you as an individual and your team? And then. When you do that, you build up this picture of where the pain is, and then you can, you can then just talk from your experience and say, well, would you like to know how we've solved that in a different department or a different division or in a different system? And then finally, you've just got provisioning, which is actually doing the work. Uh, And I think, again, that's where most most data leaders focus on the provisioning. They build the teams, but they miss all these other steps of positioning, packaging, publishing, publishing, promoting, prospecting, and pull selling, and they just focus on, well, I've got a delivery team, I will deliver, but they don't realise they have to generate
0: demand in the same way a data consultancy or software vendor does. When you've articulated that way, Dylan, um, it kind of really highlights a few things to me, and I absolutely agree, by the way. I mean, the amount of conversations that I've had with data leaders over the years that have kind of said, you know, we, we kind of operate as an internal data consultancy, you know, because they're centralised to the business and they, they're they trying to go out. And they're frustrated by the fact that they don't have that demand, you know, that they don't understand why they've not got a queue of people knocking at their door asking for their services. And they're almost really frustrated with the fact that they've almost got to go and sell. And I guess there's this, you know quite odd stigma I think around you know daily and I've had people come on the podcast before and openly say as a data leader you have to be a salesperson that's it bottom line period um, and I completely agree with that as well but there's this stigma around what that means and that's not my job yeah and- I, I,
1: I think you're right I know, I I get I get a lot of clients coming on coming on to, you know they, they sign up for our program and they go you know hands up I I can't sell that's what you don't need to sell <laughs> I go, what do you mean i said well if you do if you do all those other steps you don't need to sell because because fundamentally like building a brand is about um essentially you know, three things resonance reach and reaction right it's like, that's what we're trying to create so we're trying to we're trying to get people to resonate with our message with our content with, with our ideals our values and what we're trying to create so your content uh, and your kind of your story should resonate with people. You know, if, if I go into a telecoms company um, and I say, hey, look, one of the biggest challenges you have is stranded, stranded equipment. Right? If all this equipment in telephone exchanges and it's just sitting there and it's not working, but it could be. But because the data quality is bad, that equipment can't be used. I can help you switch that equipment back on and save you, you know, up to 10 million dollars or whatever a quarter. And, and here's how I've done it before. It's like I don't need to sell. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm just communicating my value of what I've done before. So it's not, I'm not having to convince, I think where people get confused is that they think they have to cold pitch, cold call and convince people. If you've done the content correctly, there is no pitching. I like say with my sales calls, I'm not a classically trained salesperson at all. I rely on my content to do all the selling such that when people come on a sales call, they'll literally say, look, I've been following you for two years. I've read most of your stuff. I get it, how much does it cost and what are the steps? So literally all I'm doing is just taking an order. And that's one of the biggest shifts that I see in my clients is they, they finally realize, ah, that's where we're going wrong before. Because we've not been creating content and educating people, when we do the cold call calling thing or the cold pitching thing, or we use an agency to kind of just harangue people on LinkedIn with connecting and pitching, you're having to do all that persuasion and all that con- all that conversion in that 30-minute meeting. And that feels incredibly stressful. You know, and that's why you have long drawn out sales cycles like of 10 meetings with lots of different stakeholders. But when you create resonance through your content and you build reach within the organization, they react. It's like you don't have to act. It's like the reaction is on them because they'll come to you and saying, hey, you know, if this is an internal sale, they'll say, Hey, look, we saw your SharePoint thing the other day about how you built that general ledger reporting framework and you know that we want some of that. <laughs> because i have no idea on how our hr performance is because our, you know nobody tells me i get an excel spreadsheet every four months people can figure it out when they resonate with a problem they'll figure out that you're the guy or the, or the girl to kind of you know, solve that problem they'll, they'll figure it out for themselves so that that's the key is resonance reach reaction if you can build all those three into your content your publishing and everything you don't need to really sell The selling just becomes an order-taking exercise to figure out what their problem is and how best to engineer your team around solving that problem.
0: Yeah, you see me nodding vigorously here, Dylan, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and that's been exactly my experience. You know, I've I've been on only a couple of weeks ago, I was on a call with uh, a prospective client and they kind of said, you know, we've been, just looking at your stuff, listening to your podcast. I feel like I know you. I've never spoken to them in my life. Yeah. you know, and it's weird, and it's, isn't it? You'll get at yeah.
1: events, they'll come up to you and you go, oh, hi, and I'm looking at, who, I have no idea who you are. And they go, oh, it, it's so-and-so. And you go, still no idea. Oh, I've subscribed to your your, your newsletter. Or more, I'm on your newsletter. I was on your webinar the other day. And to them, it's like, you know, like you so you, you're in their face kind of every week on their on podcast webinars and things like that. And there's, again, it, Nobody ever bought anything unless they they you know they know like trust need want and value that supplier, and that's what your content does. It takes them all the way through that cycle of you know them knowing you liking you trusting your content you needing what you have you wanting you over everyone else and then valuing the commercial offer that you've put together you know and we can do all of that through content. So when it comes to that final conversion bit, the, the classic selling, there is no selling. It's just an order taking exercise most yeah. of the time.
0: Yeah. It's just credibility, isn't it really? Um, So I guess thinking out loud here, but what's the, and we spoke about change before, right? I imagine for a lot of people that enroll in your program, this is a complete mind shift, kind of uh, mindset shift for them in terms of how they've thought about and operated for the last 5, 10, 15, 20 plus years to now this is the the new, the new normal, shall we say? Uh, yeah. You know, uh, and kind of knowing that they need to adapt, type of, of, of thing. Um, what does? How does that typically play out? Yeah, the, the the way the way I
1: approach it is, I you know I think some some consultancies can get or yeah some consultancy founders can get kind of lost in all the kind of you know sexy new technologies coming out. They think, oh, you know, data mesh or data fabric. We think that's going to be hot. Let, let's go over there. Essentially, fundamentally, where I start with is. What is your zone of genius, either as an individual or as a consultancy? And there's, um, I think, there's a book called A Big Leap, where I I kind of, I I saw this this terminology, and I love love this whole whole idea is that we we all have different zones um, where you know we certain things we excel at others, and obviously as an individual, uh, we will have our own little pockets of expertise. Um, but as a company, we have our own pockets of expertise as well. So for example, if you look at, look at your firm, it's, you know, it's so easy for me to communicate what your zone of genius is over other firms. Like, yeah, there, are, there are probably thousands and thousands of recruitment talent companies who they're, they operate in their zone of uh, competence. You know that they they can competently take a job out and find some people and things like that, but you're operating at a different in a different zone to those guys, and that makes it so much easier for me to kind of refer you and to, you know, to pass you know pass, de- pass details on of companies who might need your support, right? So the first thing I look at is okay, based on the work you've actually done, not kind of vaporware, not some you know aspirational. Oh, let's be an AI consultancy, but you've never actually done AI. I focus on where is your proven zone of genius? Where do you have capability and credibility that is defensible? Yeah, and where, where can you talk knowledgeably about something? Uh, where can you see patterns of success and failure based on the projects you've delivered? So that's generally where I start. Um, not necessarily where they think the market's shifting and all this kind of thing, but where is that zone of genius that you've, you've developed? Um, and then when I do, I kind of, again, I go back through past projects that they've done and that helps me extract out the sales messaging so really what I'm trying to understand is, you know, what are the problems that you solve? What are the solutions that you deliver? What are the results and outcomes you you, you create for the client, uh, both as a company and, you know, the individuals within that company? And what is the difference? And that's a big, that's a key thing is that what, what is the difference? Because you've, you know, if, if somebody came to me and said, oh, do you know a good talent organization or a recruitment company specialist in this area? It's like, you know, I could mention you and I can know your difference, like, you know, because that comes through in your branding. Whereas, you know, there are probably 10,000 other recruitment companies out there where I, I just couldn't name any difference to them. I would just say, well, yeah, they're just vanilla recruiters. So that's really, that's like the bedrock that, that gives us our positioning and packaging. And then we work on the, the kind of what, what your offer looks like. We try to get to like a primary offer, even though you could do 10 different things. It's like, what is the, what is the, the best thing that you do? You've probably seen this in your business. There are probably uh, 20% of things that you do that, that generate 80% of the revenue. So I just look for that it's like, you know, and build that bedrock so that we know we've got a pipeline. Because once we understand the primary offer, then we know who to go after and uh, we know that we need then we know the ideal client profile uh you know who's the five-star customer there could be lots of different types of customers who who would be a good fit but who's the best in terms of and there's, there's like 10 different dimensions i'll look at in terms of company size geography you know uh, horizontal vertical positioning and things like that and then once we've got that we've got this really solid foundation then for okay what content do we need to create because now we know all the problems that the ideal client has now we just go and write about them share insights and we're not always writing about our offer and our products and our service we're talking most of my content doesn't i don't even mention my program maybe at the very end of a blog or something like that but normally i'm talking about the, you know, the, the blockers, the frustrations, the kind of uh, the limiting beliefs that people have, the misconceptions. I write about misconceptions all the time because that's the biggest issue that people have. They have misconceptions around how data should be done or how, you know, what sequence things should be uh, should be done in or whatever, you know? So, and um, because a lot of these data disciplines are very new, you know, a lot of organizations haven't, have never heard of data governance and data quality management and massive data management and all these different things. So, you know, I just teach consultancies to, just to explain things simply, uh drive out all these misconceptions and miscommunications. And then it's just about building that outreach, the you know the inbound process and the outreach uh, and the outbound process. So we do we you know I teach people to do ethical outreach as well. You can't just wait for people to find your content. You have to go to them. Um, But I teach them how to do that in an ethical kind of non-sleazy way. And then finally it's just about how to manage that sales call, even though it's not really a sales call, it's more of a, a therapy session where you get the client to come on board and just explain what their problems are and then you just connect their problems to your solution and that's it that's pretty much the full process but it, it translates really nicely i think to data leaders internally you do exactly the same thing you know you have your packaged offering you have your your team has that capability there are problems in the organization that you are that you can operate in your zone of genius to solve and create a great outcome. There are stories of success that you've had and you, you know, you, you should be able to sit down with those people and walk them through a sales process that, that outlines a story and a roadmap forward. It's the exact same
0: thing. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I guess if we think about, you know, data leaders working within an organization at this point in time, let's just, you know, take, take it internally. Cause you know, I think, we speak a lot right in the industry around the importance of storytelling which is um which i find fascinating because then when it comes to the whole personal brand piece that's something that people either don't think about all that often or seem reluctant to do mm. and the same in the way that they try to attract talent you know, uh, yeah. and this is this is one of my messages. You've probably seen it. I bang on about this all the time on LinkedIn. But you know, we talk about the importance of storytelling in an organization and some of the stuff steps that you've just outlined there in terms of here was a problem that someone had. Here's the process we took to resolve it. Here's the payoff yeah. on the other side. Yeah, yeah. Yet when they try to attract talent, it's kind of like you must have this, <laughs> and yeah. it's just you know a list of bullet points. And I'm kind of saying where's the story? Like, why, yeah. where's the narrative around why someone should join yeah. you? Um, yeah. And I think I, I often try to kind of my, the message that I try to translate to data leaders is that, you know, typically if you go about building a brand and become known, you know, I, I use the, the the term thought leader very loosely, but, you know, if you start to do this, you'll put yourself on a pedestal against every other data leader out there. Cause there's not many doing them, yeah. you know, doing this exactly. very well. Yeah. Yeah. Um and if you do it, you know, it does a one of one of uh, two or three things in my view. First of all, as you mentioned, it attracts talent to you. In, in a market that is, you know, so competitive, there's more jobs than there are people at that mid to mm. senior level. Mm. To have people approaching you saying, I see your content on LinkedIn. I heard you on this podcast. I saw that you on this webinar or whatever the case may be. Just by putting yourself out there a little bit, people will start to take notice of you and want to, you know, it creates inbound demand from the talent community, right? Rather than you having to go and find people all the time, which is one of, you know, a data leader's biggest issue right now is is talent. And the second thing obviously is the whole buy-in piece internally, you know, so... creates demand internally for your services and therefore you're seen as an asset, et cetera, et cetera. And third thing is that it creates opportunities both internally and externally for you. If you're seen as a thought leader, you're more likely to be approached about the next big job, at the next yep. big business, absolutely. You know, whether that's internal or whether that's external. And that's the message that I often give people. But I guess if there's people listening to this now that are thinking, okay, all this is great. You know, There's a lot of information, there's a lot of tangible actions for me to take to kind of start on this process, just highlight what you, your advice would be to get them started on this journey, you know, kind of from thinking about, okay, who do you want your ideal client to be? What's your proposition? You know, kind of just t- talk us through what you would tell these people effectively.
1: Yeah, I think if, if we take this to be like an internal data leader, I, I think it comes back to that really understanding what your... Where, where do you see things that others miss? Yeah, re, I think the, the, the challenge we have right now is that we're approaching content saturation and overload because, you know, so when I, I started blogging in 2006, 2007, and it was like four of us. <laughs> you, know, you could literally count as on, on one hand, the people who, who are blogging about data and our discipline. Um, and now there's like every single vendor has a blog. Right. And yeah, the variable quality and things like this, but there is so much of the same content being written, you know, and, and produced. So I think it comes back to that point again of capability and credibility. Where do you have the strong as a data leader, where do you have the strongest capability and credibility? Where do you see things that, that other people don't see? Um, where do you see like you know, what are the patterns of success and failure that you've witnessed? And B, I think to your point about personality, I think data leaders need to be a lot more transparent because you know i i've i've worked on both sides you know as a consultant and also for for the organizations as well and most projects don't go well you know there's a vast amount of projects have problems you know depending on which statistics you read you know 80 percent of analytics projects fail to live up to expectations you know years ago you know i used to run a website called but we still have it data migration pro and years ago you know 80 percent of migrations used to fail now and that's that's come down a little bit that the performance is better now but it's fair to say most data projects people have some level of disillusionment about the outcome right so it's like where as a data leader, where can you see things in why these projects are going wrong, or where, why they're why they're succeeding, and really kind of step into that and be open and transparent? Right? You know, and I think that's the key is is to almost have like a unique voice. Right, look around you, look at what everyone else is talking about, and, and see because it essentially goes back to positioning. It's like you have to position yourself within this noise that's going on, because otherwise you're just going to be another person with a, um, you know, a kind of you know, like this another data podcast or another data blog or another data channel. It's like we've got too many now, and I think we're at that point of overload where it's um, it's getting much harder for for people to kind of stand out and differentiate. So I think that's the first thing I would say is just think like a consultancy and think about where where do I sit. In that pool uh, of all of these other cdos and data analytics leaders or whatever where do i sit where where do i have intuition that is unique and different to these people you know what, what is my brand and that that's really what brand is is you know, you look at red bull red bull is basically a fizzy drink and yet they have this clearly defined brand and um, and it's you know it, it's how have they done that well they focus on extreme sports you know they, they focus on extreme skating extreme surfing and all this kind of stuff it's like you see them as the extreme drink right so it's like they've carved out that brand so you have to carve out your unique position and you do that through looking at your capability where's strongest capability credibility you know, where's my zone of genius and that's a very much And that helps to speak to someone. I think sometimes because quite often you can't see, you can't read the label on the bottle from the inside. You just can't see it yourself. So people just fall back to talking about generally about data. Um, So get away from that. I think that that's a key point. Um, Yeah, and I think also just think about what you want to, you know, what do you want to achieve within your career? Uh, I think so many times people are not really, they just think, I'm just going to go to the next job. (laughs) Um, But I think when you build that platform, it opens up so many opportunities for you. You know, like I say, for, for within 12 months of me blogging, I was like keynoting, I was being paid to keynote, I was being, you know, paid to travel, to speak at events. I was making more from actually writing about content than I was actually doing consultancy. I got to uh, co-author a book, you know, and that was within a very short period of time, really. Um So I think that that's another thing is like, you know, building a platform just gives you all these opportunities um, and but, yeah I think just create, just write content. Just, you know, I, I know a lot of people talk about uh, publishing through podcasts and videos and everything, but the, the, the art of just sitting down and writing down your ideas and your thoughts. It will be horrible at first, but just spend like you know, six months just working on your craft of just sharing what you learn. Because that's what I found with it. I didn't really realize how much I knew or didn't know until I sat down and actually wrote it down. And I think there's a big misconception now that people think of branding as um, I think we've gone a little bit too far down the whole kind of gloss Kind of element of it, it's you know, it's all it's all glossy and it's kind of, it's sharing stuff and everything. It's like no, it, fundamentally, if you don't have capability and credibility, you don't have a brand. You know, it, it all goes back to the kind of celebrity Big Brother. You know, I remember Dennis Rodman walking into Celebrity Big Brother and goes, "You got none of you have actually done anything." And you know, here's Dennis Rodman, like one of the world's greatest basketball players, and he stood out because he had capability and credibility. All the others were there because they were just celebrities for celebrity's sake. So I think that's really key: is figure out what you are exceptional at and really start to write that down and share so much that it actually hurts because it's so much you actually feel like I'm giving away all my best secrets or I'm giving away the farm if you do that the the kind of the opportunities will just accelerate
0: exponentially from my own experience yeah do you find that the data leaders that come onto your program really struggle with getting to grips with just writing and kind of putting themselves out there because I think that's the thing that I've noticed you know I've tried to I say tried, I've, you know, trained lots of people in recruitment and talent to kind of try to emulate some of the stuff that the the way I do things. And that's, that's one of the biggest obstacles is, you know, they're kind of like, where do I start? I don't know what to write about. And I'm kind of like, look, all of your content is already in your head. It's already things that you know from experiences, from challenges, from problems that you've solved. You're just overthinking it. Is that the same kind of thing? Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, we, we created loads and loads of content templates and content like avatars we call them to, to help them extract that knowledge in, in structured frameworks. So we found we've had to do that in order to kind of act as a crutch for some people because they, they, you're absolutely right, the ideas are there. You, you, you know, you don't get to do this, you know, you don't get to be to run a consultancy for 15 years or whatever and not know uh, or to be a data leader for that length of time and not pick up lots of great insights. Um, but yeah some people feel like you know i was talking to one consultancy founder the other day he said, well you know I, I thought all articles should be like 500 words and no more so there's a lot of misconception around what content should be um, so yeah we have frameworks and everything to help them but fundamentally you know i get them to start by looking at the case stories because that's where the gold is it's like those are the you know those are the real insights they're not you know they're not philosophizing on anything they're not coming up with theories or why, you know it's like that actually happened you know This was the problem. This was the obstacle. This was the agitation for the client. This is how we solved it. And this was the outcome. Um, And that's the way I approach it. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I, as a rule of thumb, I find the clients of ours that share the most, they generate the most leads. I mean, I've got one client I was talking to the other day, um, struggled initially to create content. Yeah, English wasn't the first, language and everything um, helped her through that process and now she's generating like five or six sales calls every single week, week in week out. But she produces a long form article every single week of a really high quality. Um, and then we have you know, other much bigger firms and they, you know, they, they struggle to produce an article like that once a month, you know. And that shows they don't get as many leads as she does. She's a one person company. She gets loads of leads. Other companies get less. Um, but yeah, the, the more content you produce. And, and the deeper you go into it i mean she literally shares everything you know, all her approach ideas everything but like you know she she's fully booked uh, her consultancy is growing like crazy so that's that's the best advice is just you know I mean, and some consultancies are very skeptical about sharing their ip and i understand that but most frameworks and things like that i've seen that they're all regurgitated they're all the same it, it's no, there's nothing new under the sun really Um, but it, it's those experiences and those those events and how you deal with those events—that's what you want to share because other, other, you know, internal founders and uh, internal uh, champions—they want to avoid those same mistakes. You know, they, they can see those, those freight train disasters coming straight to them. And they want to avoid them. So, yeah, the more you share, the, the faster your business will grow, and the faster your—if you're looking at data leadership internally—the faster your, um, you, you know, your kind of gravitas and impact will be felt within that organization as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. I, th- I think if I if I think about most data leaders that I know and speak to, if they're not already at the CD AO level, um, I'd say 90% of them have got aspirations to, to get there. You know, that's where they yeah. see their next step. And I often ask them, I say, OK, well, h- how do you differentiate yourself? In, you know, there's, there's something stupid like, you know, let's say 300 CDO roles in the UK and there are mm. 20,000 data leaders <laughs> you know yeah. the math the math doesn't add up so how, how do you differentiate yourself in such a crowded marketplace if that's genuinely what you want to do and i think a lot of them just don't you know they just probably just don't think about this stuff they, they certainly have the ability of course as your program yeah. proves and I, I think
1: you know, don't underestimate the power of publishing you know I, i'm i'm getting on the radar of some of these organizations and we had a client very early on when we first launched a program a few years ago. um, And they were kind of in a principal consultant role and MDM role. And they just, I just taught them the methods. They went through it um, and they were just so passionate about their topic. They were just publishing all the time. And I think within six months, they had a 75% pay rise and they were appointed head of MDM for like one of the biggest companies on the planet. And they said, yeah, it's like, it was night and day. He said, like, literally, they weren't getting any calls from recruiters. No, they just just didn't exist, as they said, you know, six months earlier, they didn't exist, and then basically just they created this breadcrumb trail of expertise, Um, and I I still see him now. He he, he keynotes presentations based over in India. Um, Keynotes presentations, this is like, you know, five, six years later on. He's still... It, but it's that initial six month is just went for it, just went absolutely full bore like every single day, creating content, publishing. It was on the bus to work, just writing, writing, writing. So you just have to suck it up for a few months and just really grind it out. Just get as much content as you, as you can out. And, you know, you'll find your voice and then the opportunities will start to materialize. And you know, it, like, say in, in your position for like your firm, it's easier for you to spot those kind of people if they're popping up, you know, in like, say, you know, my podcast or your podcast or, 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 you know, it's like you'll be speaking to podcast guests and you'll be saying, hey, look, do you know anyone else who knows about this stuff? And you go, oh, yeah, so-and-so just written an article about that. Give give them a call. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't do that, you're just invisible. You know, and, yeah. and the this economy has shifted. It's not, you know, it's just totally pivoted i i feel it's like you you have to have that security blanket of a solid platform where people can separate you from everyone else
0: yeah couldn't agree more what a perfect way to to end dylan i feel like we could speak about this stuff for, for hours and hours um i guess before we finish up is there anything i've missed i know we've kind of jumped back and forth on some of the uh, the questions that we we plotted but is there anything that you wanted to kind of say that um We've di- diversed away from. I,
1: I, yeah, I, I think just for, on the data leadership side, I think I think people have to be. I think they have to show their vulnerability a bit more. I think they have to. I think they have to get in touch with the fact that it's okay to admit that you screwed things up or you you would have done things differently, because anyone who says they've had a, just a perfect track record, I think that just it, it impacts their professionalism in a way because everybody knows. You know, it's like we don't have 100% perfect projects. And I think the more transparent they are about their experiences, I think that is going to be one of the biggest differentiators for them. Um, Because I think increasingly, you know, if a CDO is being hired by a CTO or a COO or a CEO or whatever, they can, you know, their, their BS radar is going to go off if, if they just show this perfectly polished, you know, ex- experience where nothing ever went wrong. It's just not real. So I think if you're going to do it, be transparent. You know, I'm, you know, I'm transparent about the mistakes I've made and, you know, um, the, the kind of wrong turns I've made, particularly, particularly in my data career. You know, just got a lot of things wrong, you know. and But writing about those experiences, I think, make you far more believable than other people who just talk about everything being... Perfect and rosy, and never, nothing ever, yeah, nothing ever fails because that's just not reality.
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. I think there's a big, you know, humility play with branding, right? You know, the, the, as you said, the yeah. more authentic you make it, the more people buy into you, the more credibility you drive, etc., etc. Yeah. Et yeah, absolutely for sure. Okay, well, look, if people are interested in learning more about MyDataBrand.com, how that could help them as an individual, help them or their organization or people within their organization how is the best way for them to reach you sure um if you just go to mydatabrand.com there's a big button on the website which says, which says schedule a call it's as simple as that perfect well Dylan look thank you so much for coming on uh, really looking forward to getting this episode out and uh yeah we'll look forward to speaking to you again soon yeah i'm sure we will cheers carl All right, take care All the that's it for this episode of driven by data the podcast i hope you enjoyed it I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.